Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 9. We're going to be talking about uh, King Solomon. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I learn, I learn best by learning what not to do. I don't, I, I don't, that's just how it is. So if I'm really studying your life, you've probably got some failures I'm attracted to. No, I'm just messing with you guys. No, I, because failures don't really teach you. You don't want to just, there's a whole world full of failures. History's full of failures. I want to learn from someone who was successful and then had some failures. I feel like they have some great things to impart into our life. And so when I look at that, I think who in the world was a dad that was highly successful, highly wise and rich, what the world would say was a great person or, or an awesome king. And I would want to know what he thought uh, or what, how he failed. This would teach me a lot because to me, I just think success is not repeating failures. I don't want to do what he did. And so uh, today we're going to look at um, Solomon's life. Now, you guys know King Solomon was a wise man. He was the wisest one there ever was, obviously, because he had uh, a supernatural gift and wisdom. Uh, and even though he had all of that wisdom, he still yet struggled uh, to a great degree. And so we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 1 through 9. This kind of gives us a wrap-up of, uh, of Solomon's covenant as king with God and God's commitment to him. He starts off and says, As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me, Solomon... As David, your father, walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne uh, over Israel forever. And as I have promised David, your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel, but if you turn aside from following me, you or your children... And do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. And Israel become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. And everyone passing it by will be astonished and will hiss. And they will say, why has the Lord done this, to, uh, this land and to this house? And then they will say, because they, abandoned, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them, therefore the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. Can I tell you that everything that we studied in Nehemiah was because Solomon did not hold up his part of the bargain. Everything we saw in terms of the downing of the walls and the suffering and the, and the release from exile, all that was because... It was, as a matter of fact, it says right here that the city and the town will be, will be a byword and people will say, who did this to this great town? This, we saw this in Nehemiah. And this is where it began was in Israel when Solomon the king did not follow his own advice. Now that is what's crazy. Because Solomon was the wisest king, and yet he, he, had, I mean, he had this supernatural gift to know the right thing to do. And, and here he wrote a book. Specifically to his son, he gave to Rehoboam. He gave to him, he said, son, if you'll do these things, 
In fact, Proverbs 1, 8 through 9 says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and penance for your neck. That's how he starts Proverbs. And so the whole book of Proverbs is telling his son as a father and as a, as a follower of Christ, who actually was follower of Yahweh at that time, this is who you need to be. The whole book of Proverbs says to fear the Lord, honor, your, honor and obey your parents, avoid sinners, seek wisdom, practice discernment, obey God's word, trust the Lord with all your heart, honor the Lord with all your life and your substance, flee sin, protect your heart, avoid the adulterous woman and man, if this if it was a sister. Yeah, I'm not going to get into that right now. That feels complicated already. I'm going to go ahead and move. Love and sink God. Walk humbly and treat people with righteousness. Commit your works to the Lord. Don't pursue wine, wealth, or pleasure. Fear the Lord and keep his commandments. And simply Solomon's secret to successful living was simply this. Very clear. Obey God. A lot of wisdom in Proverbs. A lot of wisdom. And yet when you read about Rehoboam, Solomon's son, you realize that he repeated the sins of his father. He was insensitive towards God and the people, and he behaved wickedly in the sight of the Lord, and he ignored the wisdom uh, and the wisely counsel of godly men. In fact, because of his repetition of his father's sins, what happened was this, that God stripped 10 out of the 12 tribes away from Rehoboam. And what we find is that in the book of Proverbs that was written by the wisest man ever, ever, that neither Solomon nor his son followed the principles that he taught. Now, this, what I want you to know, men, is simply this. Is I, want you, I, want to, I want to challenge us, us, challenge us from, from the, the mistakes that he made. And the first thing we should know is this. Nobody cares what you preach. Your kids don't care what you preach. They care what you practice all day long. They don't just care what they practice, that what you practice. They repeat what you practice have you men have ever been told, you remind me of your father like that, and it just cringe all over you? Do y'all have, have any men like that at all? Oh, man, I wish. Now, some of y'all said, that's right, I'm like my dad. But some of us were like, oh, please don't, please don't say that. Because we have a tendency to repeat those things even when we don't want to do those things. And so Solomon's life teaches these things what not to do. So let me give you uh, some encouragement this morning and some critique men in our life. Again, like I prayed a while ago, I believe that the most important thing that a man can do uh, is father a child in the love and the devotion to God. I believe that whole, I don't know of anything else that you could do as a, as a father. That is the most important thing. So that means the most important thing you'll ever put your hands, your eyes, and your words to are those children that you have. And here's, here's good news. If you haven't been a great dad, today's halftime. I'm going to pep talk you up, get back out there, we're going to do it right. So if you've not been doing right, then just jump off the bench, get back in the game, and let's get it. Number one, our children learn from our example than they, more than they do our instructions. Our children learn more from our example than they do from our instruction. If you want to raise godly children, live a godly life. It's really simple. That's good for us men. We don't want to think too complicated most of the time. If you want godly children, raise, uh, um, live a godly life. If you want your children to love God, guess what? Love God openly in front of your children. Yes. Practice what you preach. That's what it comes down to. Y'all remember what it was like when you were in your house and your dad said, uh, 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 do, do, do as I say, not as I do. And I always thought, boy, dad, if, if I'm just going to move on from there. I don't want to be too critical. But I, 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 I just didn't like that. I wanted, well, if you would show me how to be a good, 
be a good man, I wouldn't be such a bad son. Solomon said all the right things to, to his, his kids, to Rehoboam. He said all the right things. He knew the, all the right things. But the difference was he didn't do those things. And so where are we as dads walking in? Solomon didn't just do what he instructed his son to do. And so therefore that was the problem. I'm just going to move on from point one and just say this. Men, it's not what we preach, it's what we practice. Remember that. Second thing is this, guard against your ego. Let's be honest, guard against your ego. For some crazy reason, us men, we have a tendency to want to build up an ego. I don't know why it is, the Lord just just gave us that propensity for some reason. But let me just remind you what an ego is. An ego is edging God out. We got to watch our egos because that's what happens. We want to edge God out. We want to we take his glory and put it on the outside and start building up ours. Look at 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. It says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people? Solomon is saying, Lord, I don't have what it takes to govern your people. And God gave him a, a wise mind that was greater than anybody else ever we've known in history. And so here he, he became a wise man, and he began to deal with people uh, and, and love people and do them for God's glory. Not for his, but for God's glory, because he could have asked God for anything. And he said, Lord, give me something that honors you by governing your people with wisdom. And because he asked so, the Lord says, I'll give you riches and fame and so on. But the problem was is that, that somehow in Solomon's mind, he took all the things that God gave him, as things that he did. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. He says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks. More than any who had been before me in Jerusalem, I also gathered... For myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me. Man. And notice this. Also my wisdom. Who? Whose wisdom? It wasn't too long ago you were just saying, Lord, I, I, I don't have what it takes. I need you to supernaturally give me wisdom. But here he says, also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil, all my hard work. All that I did, God, all that I sacrificed for. This, was, this, this is what I deserve. Mm. Twelve instances in six verses. Solomon didn't need God's help. Look at what Solomon did. Look at what Solomon did. And I think this kind of summed it all up in Ecclesiastes 2.9. He says, so I became great, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Men, pride and ego are dangerous temptations. And they are just that. They are temptations that all men, all men will wrestle with. The first step forward to, uh, to failure occurs when we become preoccupied with our own ability, our own strength, our own wisdom, or talent, or expertise, our own possessions and accomplishments. We lose sight 
of our need and our dependence on God. This is our first step forward. And Solomon eventually, he became so consumed with himself, as we saw in this text here, that, that his glory became more important than God's glory. In fact, when it came to building a house, it took Solomon 13 years to build his own house. But God, I got it done seven. He spent twice as much building his house as he did building the Lord's magnificent, magnificent temple. Now, I don't know if you know how much of the scripture you know, but here's what you should know is that there is never a structure, never a building so glorious like Solomon's temple. It was the grand temple. In fact, when they rebuilt the temple in uh, Nehemiah's day um, and uh, uh, that generation, it says that uh, when they went out, when Ezra went out as the, as the, the prophet or the priest, they laid the foundation that the old men who remembered Solomon's glory, the old men wept because they realized the new house was nowhere near the glory of the former house. So Solomon's house, he spent building the temple was, was glorious, but it had nothing to do, it, had, it was nowhere near the caliber of his own personal house. I thought to myself, how do we know if we're more concerned or more consumed with God's glory? I'm sorry, more consumed with our glory than God's glory. As men, how do we know that? How do we know that we're not, we're, we're, our ego is inflating without us even knowing about it? And, and I realized really quick is that time is the currency we use to build our kingdoms. What are you spending your time on, Dad? Scott, what are you spending your time on? I, sometimes it's good just to log your week. Where am I spending my time at? Sometimes you'll, get, you'll be on social media too much. Sometimes you'll be thinking about that hunt magazine too much. Sometimes you'll be thinking about your equipment, your yard, your house, your golf, whatever it might be. I'm just throwing all kinds of stones up here. I don't know if it'll hit you or not. But I just know this is that as men, we have a tendency to think about the things that we want to think about, right? Because let's be honest, this is how we de-stress, right? This is how we escape from everything else. And I do think that's important. Please, you, if, if you've heard me talk at all, you guys know I love to go fish. I'm not about to quit fishing for nothing. But I do know there's a balance in it. And that's what I pray, God. God, I'm, I need some time to myself. But at the same time, too, allow me to have balance in what I do. Don't let my time be, be mostly spent on me, but remind myself on who you are. Humility is God's antidote to ego. Don't edge God out. Number three. The road to failure begins with compromise. Solomon's compromise was this. Look at 1 Kings 3.3. Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. We see that Solomon did love God. He did love God. But if you look up a couple verses up, what we see in verse 1 is this. It says that Solomon made a marriage alliance with the Pharaoh king of Egypt, which was really a covenant. He took Pharaoh's daughter and he brought her into the city of David until he had finished building the house, his own house. So in other words, he didn't put her in the house of the Lord. He knew she didn't belong there because she was not sanctioned by Scripture to be there because he married a foreign woman. Now, you say, no, they, didn't, they couldn't marry foreign, foreign women? No, they couldn't. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 through 4. Um, I'll skip down a few verses. It says, Sorry, Rachel. You, you shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to the sons or taking the daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Here's what I want you to know is that it's so easy for us 
to start to compromise and relax God's standard in our relationship while loving God. Scripture said that he loved God while compromising his relationship. So it wasn't that Solomon was in backward sin. We have to pay attention, dads, that we don't compromise God's word in our life. Because we can still be loving God and still allow compromise into our heart and our life. What price tag do we have that we've placed on God's peace? Solomon said, I care more about foreign women than I do the peace of God. As we look at our lives, we got to ask ourselves, where is our, that was Solomon's compromise. But where is our compromise? Where do we say, you know what, I don't mind giving a little bit here, a little bit there, because I, 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 I got a pleasure, I got a passion, I got some promotions I'm trying to chase. I'm trying to chase some possessions in life to help me uh, feel more validated and respected, and that's what men typically uh, seek after. I know that's uh, what I've struggled with my whole life and probably will always be. And so I, I want you to understand is that it makes no difference what's happening in our buddy's life. We look, we look at their life and see what he has, what he's doing, and we get into this compare mode. Now, I know women tend to be uh, more prone to comparing, but men, we do a pretty good job at it too, right? What kind of trucks he got? How, how many miles you got on it? What, 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 you got in the, what you got in there, you know? How big is that, 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 uh, uh, that motor on the back of your boat? You know, how fast does it go? How many fish you caught? How close to the camera was your fish when you, when you took a picture of it? <laughs> we constantly compare it. We don't say it. We don't come out with it. But it's in us. And we got to remember that we cannot compromise the truth of God's standard. Regardless of how happy our buddies seem. Regardless of how accepting the culture is of it. Regardless of how secret the sin is. Or how justifiable it may be. Justifiable it may be. We, we cannot compromise Sin has a price. I want to show you a very important principle here about what happens, dads, when we compromise. Look at 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of the Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, uh, Sidonian, and Hittite women. Now look at verse 4. For when Solomon was old with his wives, his wives turned away his heart uh, after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. So his heart's beginning to turn. He loved a foreign woman. Now his heart's starting to turn. Look at verse 6. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord. So now he's not just compromising. Now he's doing things that are absolutely wrong. Now look at verse 7 through 8. Then Solomon built a high place for um, Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites. Do you know that those two gods are the only two gods that we really see in all of Scripture? that require child sacrifice. Child sacrifice. So he went from loving foreign women to sacrificing children. He went from compromising his love for God a little bit because he loved God, but he also married that, that, his first um, um, Egyptian wife to sacrificing his children. Here's what I want you to understand is that dad's, we have to watch our lives because if we make compromise, it'll be at the sacrifice of our children. It, it, it's, it's so true. It's so, it's so paramount for us to understand that, that our, our, our choices in life come at the cost of our kids. And so we have to watch that because the enemy knows that. What starts off as, a, as one compromise in our life becomes a lifestyle. It becomes disobedience. And next thing you know, we're alienated from from God. Number four, 
The secret to finding God's favor is repentance, not sin management. I don't know about you, but one of the greatest things I love about God is that he, he, he forgives me as a dad. That I make mistakes. And that every time I don't get it right, every time I speak course to my children or I make something wrong or I don't do something right at work or with my wife, I know that I can come to a father that says, Scott, I know it's in you to be greater. I forgive you if you repent. And so my heart should always be towards repentance. I know I'll never be perfect, but I'm not going to try to manage sin either. So as long as I'm bent on being like the heart of David that says, Lord, if you'll just forgive me and go on with it, let's get better at this. But we tend to struggle as men. We try to manage sin instead of terminating it. Can I tell you that sin is like a cockroach? You ain't trying to manage that lifestyle. One thing I noticed around here is that living close to the the cows, uh, flies are everywhere. And can I tell you, I ain't trying to manage flies in my life. I'm trying to terminate it. Because I don't know about you, but they drive me crazy. Some of y'all are like, well, I got flies everywhere. It's just part, part of life. Scott. Well, not me. I don't like flies when I'm eating my food that my wife is slaved over. And I see one drop in my food. I, that's, a, that's, a, that's a difficult ethical choice for me. You know, I, is that broccoli? Is it pasta? Is it a fly? What is it? You know, I, I, and so I, I, don't, I don't like that. And so what I want you to understand is you, you can't conceal sin. You can't manage sin. you got to terminate sin. Notice that what he did. He said in, in 2 Chronicles 8 verse 11, Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughters up out of the city of David to the house that he had built, her for, built for her. And he said, my wife shall not live in the house of David, the holy house of David, for the places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. When I saw this, I realized really quick and this, is, this affected me personally growing up. That here Solomon understands that there is a holy spiritual aspect to his life. But he has something that's not right. Something that's wrong. And he's trying to separate his sin life and his spiritual life, yet they are the same thing. And can I tell you that we can't hide our concubines amongst our convictions. If I can be more literal, we can't put our holes in our holy, holy places. Can't do that. You can't put your pleasure of men with your pleasure of worship. You can't put those two things, those things that are dirty and those things that are holy. But somehow we feel like men, we can keep it under wraps. I can manage it. I can make sure it affects nobody else. Knowing the full time, sin will find you out. I pray, God, that sin would find you out. That the Lord would bring you and I as a dad and say, Scott, there's some things in your life I got to pull out because I don't want your kids to pay for this. I want you to man up, Scott. I want you to man up and, and take this and be a father that I've created you and given you power to be. You see, I lived in a life, I lived in a house where my dad practiced spirituality the whole time, but he was in sin his whole life. And so what I saw was this. I saw that it only mattered It only mattered to the rest of the people in the world if you were holy before people. But as long as you hid your sin behind closed doors, it didn't really matter at all until your kids find out what those things go on. And then I grow up not believing any man of God, not believing any word of God, not believing anything that's holy, not believing any kind of Pentecostal spiritual move of God, no prophecy. All of that stuff was a lie to me because I grew up believing that spiritual things were just sin management containers. Wow. 
And so I'm telling you, as a product of someone who had to work through and find a real dad who was real about holiness, that we have to be careful that we don't damn our children because we live a life that's managing our sin. God exposed the sin in Scott Brandon. I'll be honest with you. If I'm living life wrong, I pray you call me out. You see to my life and say, Pastor Scott, we got to have a meeting. I see some things in your life that are not right, and I promise you I'll do the same. Men, are you good with that? Okay. Because here's the thing. I love your kids even if you're too tired to do so. Because sometimes working on that wall, we get tired. Sometimes working on that wall, we lose sight of the vision. And I want to be not only a pastor, but a church that will come alongside of you and say, I know when you get physically tired, you get emotionally tired, which means you're getting spiritually tired. Let me know how I can help you. Let me know how I can pastor you. Number five is this. Our priorities are a reflection of our purpose. Our priorities are a reflection of our purpose. When we realize what we're pursuing uh, it, we, we realize what our, uh, our agenda is in life, what we want to accomplish. You can tell a, per, a person's purpose by their priorities. Ecclesiastes 2.10 says this, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for my toil. Here's a short list. Solomon produced for himself large houses, pools, gardens, silver and gold, musicians, comedians, best entertainers, best food, best drinks, best sex, Beautiful women, horses, chariots, servants, you name it. He built it, he took it, or he bought it. He made pleasing himself his purpose for living. That was Solomon's best life now. But can I tell you, men, however we spend our time and our money is an indication of our priorities and our purpose. Be careful that you don't redefine God's given purpose in your life. Your purpose in life is to sow truth, wisdom, grace, and love into those people you call children. That is your only purpose. Anything else you do in life, someone else can do better. Name something that you do in life that some other man can't do better. The only thing a man can't do better than you is to father your children. So do it like nobody else can. Do it knowing the Lord has commissioned you and called you and given you the exact children that he wants you to have because he knows he is confident in your desire and your ability to please him by raising image bearers that look like him. Number six, selfish living doesn't satisfy. It just doesn't. 2.11, Ecclesiastes 2.11 says this, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toll I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and, had, uh, and a striving after the wind, and therefore nothing um, was to be gained under the sun. Can I tell you that Solomon was teaching us this, that, that a, an empty life or a selfish life produces emptiness. A selfish life produces emptiness. Let's not be like him, guys. We're talking about the things that we don't want to be like. Let's not be like this, that we're selfish, that we produce empty children. Here's what I know. When when I'm around kids who serve, I typically find a daddy who wants to serve. When I'm around kids who love, I find daddies who love. When I'm around kids who give, I find dads who give. When I'm around kids who respect authority, I find them respecting dad's authority. And when I find kids who are content, I tend to find dads who who are concerned with the least of these. You see, dads, we produce who we are. That's what makes us dads. 
You have the ability to reproduce, but it's not just physical. It is absolutely spiritual. Reproduce who you are. And number seven, as I close and the worship team comes up, number seven is this. Continued disobedience gives birth to opposition. This is important because as we struggle as men in our life and as dads in our life, we, we all will come across some struggles, some temptations. That doesn't mean you're not holy. That just means that you're a man and that you need to understand that temptation will always be here. So long as we are on this earth, we possess this flesh, temptation will always be crouching at our door. Sin will always be crouching at our door. But if we continue to be disobedient, if we continue to pursue the things that we know are wrong, like Solomon, we'll find that the Lord will bring opposition to us. And opposition to us is really the grace of God. Look at 1 Kings 11, 11 says this, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since, there has been, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Solomon, Solomon runs against God's opposition. Why? Is God trying to punish, to bring consequence? No, not at all. The Lord wants Solomon to hear his heart. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, just, I just know this because I've, I've, I've hit my head on the wall so many times. And it's simply this, is that if I don't discipline myself, my Father in heaven who loves me the most will. He will. Opposition is the love of your Father in heaven because he sees a Father on earth that needs help. Because we struggle. Because we're not perfect. Because we do have temptations. Because this world is corrupt. I don't know what it was like living in, in history, but I feel like that this day and age has been the most difficult one that I have read about in a very, very long time. It is not easy to be a man, and it sure isn't easy to be a dad. Why? Because I believe with all my heart that the key figure in society is dad. Is dad. The fundamental, the fundamental building block of every relationship starts at the family. And the family is led by the Father. It's in the Word of God. So if I'm Satan, I'm targeting you, dads. I'm targeting you. You are the most valuable. Because I realize if I have you, I got the family. Who else is going to protect the family? Who else is going to die for the family? Who else is going to square their shoulders and defend it to their death? Moms can, but that's not mom's place. Dad, it's us. We are the ones that say, don't talk to my baby that way. <laughs> Ask my 16-year-old daughter out right now in the wrong way and see what kind of daddy I am. I believe it's the same way for you. I believe that you love your kids. You want the best for your kids. You want more for them than you ever had before. And so when we make a wrong step in disobedience, know that any opposition that the Lord may bring to you, it may be your health, it may be your, your job, it may be your relationships, whatever it might be. It could be even depression that you're fighting. I would say back up and ask yourself, Lord, am I doing this daddy thing wrong? Am I, am I parenting wrong? Because I know that the, the number one goal for me as a dad is to love my kids and teach them Christ. Your job is to show them the Father. 
Show them the Father. We are the lens in which they see God in heaven. So what do we do? And I'm done. What do we do? We walk humbly and guard against pride and ego. We live righteous lives. We deal with sin and true repentance. We live selfless, sacrificial lives. We love God in practical and personal obedience. We make serving God our highest priority. We live lives based on principle, not on pleasure. And we refuse to compromise God's standard. That's what we do. And here's the thing. I know it's in you to do. If you, if you, are, if you have come to Christ and you call him your Lord and Savior, what you need to be a good father is in you. Because Christ in you is greater than the whole world. Surely he can help you parent your, your children. I know it's possible. I also know it's possible for you to be a great husband. And so today, I just want to make this altar call real simple. I, I, I want us to pray as men to declare to God that we need you and that we're going to be the men that you called us to be. But today, I'm going to walk down here to declare to my family that I'm going to make sure that my life is a life that's worth repeating. That my example should be something that you find in your husbands. That the love that I give and the mercy that I show should be something that you read in Scripture. And so I I stand here before everyone. Let let this whole congregation be my accountability partner. I'm going to love my girls. I'm going to love my wife. Because that's what I find in my word to do so. I want to know, is there any men that would join me this morning? Right down front, right here. And just say, I'm going to be that same dad that scriptures talks about. Is there any men that would join me this morning? If you would, come on up. If you would join me, come on up. I, I I want our families to pray for us. But I want this church to also see that these are the men of God that stand before you. These are the men that will lead this church. These are the men that will show you love and mercy and grace. I believe wholeheartedly that these are the men that's going to change a city by leading our families. Ladies, children, if you're there, would you stretch your hands towards these men today and pray over us? Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask God today for these men, for these dads, God, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit, God, would give us power and strength. God, we want to be everything that you have called us to be. Oh, God, I pray, keep us, God, from the sins and the temptations and the problems, God, that Solomon faced. Keep us, God, from going down those roads, Lord, that we struggle with ego, that we misprioritize our time, God, that we allocate our pleasures over uh, uh, God's calling in our life, God, that we look to glorify ourselves, God, over you. God, keep us from those things that Solomon struggled with. And I pray, God, as we do these things, I pray you would open the eyes of our children, that they might look upon our life and look in our life, that they would find strength, for this world, God, that they would see an example and a heart that beats for God that they want. That they would say, I can do this because my dad shows me every day how to die, how to pick up his cross daily and to follow Christ. Oh God, we're not perfect men. We're not perfect men at all. But God, we are men, God, who, 
plan on practicing your word, practicing your love, practicing your grace over us, over each other, over our families. Teach us, O oh Lord. I pray that the prayers of our family, God, bring strength to our lives. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would y'all give it up as these men take back to their, their seats? Yeah. Thank you, men. Man, let me tell you, today, I want you guys to go home, enjoy your afternoon off. It's 11-18. I don't know you'll ever see this again. But I believe in two things on Father's Day. I've told some of you this already. A big breakfast and a big nap, all right? So go have you a great lunch. Man, listen. Listen to me. Sometimes it feels like I might be a bit harsh in my words, but here's what I want you to know about your pastor. I'll run in front of you all day long. Any struggle that you face, any problem that you encounter, I'm the kind of guy you want to call when the room is dark and you don't know what the enemy looks like. I want to go in front of you. I believe, I believe, I believe in men. I believe in husbands. I believe in fathers. And I want you to know that I believe in you. I'm proud of, I'm proud of the men that I, I know at this church already. And I'm believing that the Lord is going to do something great through us. Now go home, love your wives, clean the kitchen, fold the laundry. I'm just kidding. It's, it's Father's Day. I don't want to, I don't want to do too much. I love you guys. We'll see you, we'll see you next week. You're dismissed. <clears throat>